Ed, welcome back to Russell Street Replay. This is uh, an edition of our off-season podcast that we're going to be continuing to recap and pre-cap different things throughout the Ravens off-season. Today, we've got a couple things on our docket. First, we want to talk about the hiring of Mike McDonald as the Ravens' next defensive coordinator. Uh, we're also going to talk about head coach John Harbaugh's press conference uh, today, his end-of-season presser. And finally, we're going to do for our weekly categories this week, we're going to change it up and we're going to go and give out the NFL's end-of-season awards, uh, both to the our picks for the NFL at large and for who would get those awards just on the Ravens. I'm joined as usual by Ronald Tooth. And Ron, I guess, let me get your first reactions to the Mike McDonald hiring. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a wild couple weeks here after a period of silence there after the Pittsburgh game. It feels like things have just been popping off at the castle left and right. Uh, as you mentioned, starting with the hiring of Mike McDonald last week. Uh, I'm interested to see what he does. I'm very confident, obviously, when you look at his defense last year at Michigan. Obviously, he was already in the Ravens building, so it's not going to be too much of a, uh, you know, a honeymoon period, an adjustment period in that way. Uh, very similar system to Winks in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, you hear what Aiden Hutchinson said about him. There's been all other Michigan defenders who kind of make that Ravens-Michigan connection when you look at their defense from last year. Um, a little different in terms of the pass rush. You know, at, at Michigan, he relied a lot last year on getting home with his front four pass rushers. And it's going to be interesting to see how much of that he brings. Or I guess we'll say how much the team tries to fit the personnel to his scheme as opposed to him altering his scheme to fit the personnel he has. You know, the Ravens have a lot of holes right now, obviously, in the offensive line, some depth in the secondary, even middle linebacker, you probably want to add a body there. So it's going to be interesting to see in that regard if they go all in on the front four so that he can run that, you know, scheme exactly as he ran it at Michigan, or if he's going to add a couple more wrinkles in terms of his linebacker blitzing and things like that to compensate the lack of a pass rush with four. Yeah, I think one of the things I've seen about McDonald, and again, he's only had the one season as defensive coordinator, but even game to game as Michigan at Michigan, he was adaptable. He was flexible to the opponent he was facing and to the personnel that was available. And I think that's something that Wink was just less so. I think, you know, from his perspective towards the end of the season, you want to keep blitzing because you can't trust your defensive backs to stay with, uh, you know, their receivers for very long. And, you know, that's true to a certain extent, but at the same time, if they're losing them right from the snap, then you need to give them a little bit more help, more zone coverages, more double coverages. Um, and that's going to require you to blitz less. And I feel like that's an adjustment that Harbaugh is looking for with McDonald coming in. McDonald's ability to make those kinds of adjustments and make, make changes that are needed in games. Um, so I think that's one thing. And I think another thing you say, like, yeah, about personnel, um, the Ravens have already emphasized getting adaptable, versatile players on defense. And so we have the personnel to fit a lot of different schemes. And I think McDonald's going to bring in kind of a multiple variable scheme, nothing crazily dissimilar to what they've played in the past, but I do think I agree that the, the blitzing and the pressure, the way we get pressure is going to be different. Uh, I'm hoping to see McDonald uh, make some ways with Dalen Hayes and Odafe Owe because he has a reputation for developing edge rushers pretty well now. Who knows? I think the odds of us taking Ojabo with the 14th pick just shot up pretty high considering his breakout under McDonald in Michigan this season. Uh, so interesting hire. Nice to have a returning coach who already knows this defense really well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hopefully a job falls to us because at 14, that would be a steal. It already seems like he's slowly starting to creep up draft boards a little bit. So it might even, you know, take a move uh, depending on how cute you want to get with it, how high they want to go up. I doubt they're going to want to be getting rid of any of their early picks next year or even any of their valuable, you know, third rounders that they have this year. If, it, if it's a matter of a couple spots, maybe you give up an extra three or something. But besides that, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if if they really go all in on the defensive line or, like we said, if they kind of fit the scheme to the players that they have. I mean, it's it's inevitable they're going to add pieces in that department. I mean, you can't you can't not at this point. It's just a matter of if that's the main emphasis this offseason or if it's kind of like they did last year where it's like, okay, we'll bring in Houston. We'll bring in, you know, whoever, and really focus on the offensive line going forward. Cause Harbaugh and we'll get into Harbaugh's presser after, but he was pretty adamant about the offensive line and how important that is going to be next year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say one thing on the draft, there's just so much time for the combine, mm-hmm. even when, when things are really moving that, I think it's fun to kind of like have projections and stuff like that right now, but it's so hard to say who's even going to go in a certain spot. And, you know, we saw, we see so much movement as the draft approaches. I think one thing that I really expect is for the Ravens to stay at 14 because they're kind of unique scouting and evaluation process. They see the board so differently that I think they will get a player who is a top 10 pick in their eyes at 14. I think they're, I mean, that's kind of what happened last year. I think they both, they saw Bateman and OS top 20 players and got them at the bottom in that what 27 and 31 or something like that. And so that's kind of a strategy that we see from them. I think something that's more likely is them trading back up in the first uh, back up from the second in order to try and get a tackle because there's kind of talk about that, those top three tackles, and then it falling off further. I don't know. There's plenty of time, I guess, is what I should be saying. But Harbaugh's press conference today kind of hinted at what they're thinking. Certainly draft-wise, I think I think we're going to be a little bit surprised. I think we're going, they're going to take a couple linemen. I wouldn't be shocked if they, take to, if they took a wide out late, uh, a running back, because – I think they really like their talent on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, that's where injuries hurt the most. Um, And in terms of like big re-signings, yeah, it's the trenches, the defensive line, but we've always kind of done a good job in figuring it out there. Um, I mean, the only reason we're even really worried about that is because two guys are leaving. It's not because we don't have other talent or, you know, aren't good at developing that position. So I I think that's to me the most the area I'm most curious about is what we do at defensive line. Yeah. The defensive line will be interesting. Uh, you, you mentioned Harbaugh's comments about the talent and the injuries on that side of the ball they faced this year. And he even made reference to the fact that, you know, we're getting two first round corners back next year, which should also make people feel a little better about the whole Marcus Peters situation, whether or not he was going to be a cap casualty. I mean, I don't think anybody expected that a restructure is probably much more likely, but I think that, while, well, I mean, he said it, nothing's a lock today, but but it seems pretty good that the secondary, at least in the corners, is going to be back as we remember them this, uh, you know, in 2022. Uh, the defensive line, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting, though. It's it's tough because they, they've kind of done this sort of, you know, band-aids with veterans thing for a while. It seems like these guys who they're not going to kill you but they're also not going to win you a game on third and, you know, third and six, getting that big sack you need, like we saw the Bengals do yesterday. So, yeah, that, that, it's pretty much what it's going to come down to, what, whether just how much 
importance they place on the defensive line. Yeah. And you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned something else with, uh, you know, Peter's definitely, not definitely, most likely coming back. Um, where are we going to want to devote those dollars in free agency with all of the guys we have available? I mean, Harbaugh said today, this was the big thing for me was he said, look, once the, once we're at this point, those guys are going to hit free agency. They're going to test the market. That means Bozeman is going to test the market. Uh, Brandon Williams is going to see what market there might be for him. Um, that's a vet that I could see us re-signing on a much cheaper deal than he's gotten in the past because there's not that there's not as much interest in him. But then you talk about guys that are hitting the market that we don't know if they're going to come back. Like Josh Bynes had another good season here. Could another team swoop in on him? Um, Deshaun Elliott is another one. I think he's the biggest question mark of the secondary, but at this point, I kind of just think Brandon Stevens is the guy. I think at a certain point, you've got to like what you see out of him and commit to the fact that he got better as the year improved. And as a result, he's going to continue to get better as he plays more. And that's part of football is, is developing those young guys. And yeah, he's probably going to make mistakes, but he's still going to be probably our free safety of the future. Um, And I think at a certain point, you just got to roll with him. Yeah. uh, Even Anthony Averett in that regard, we can throw him in there as well, even though, it seems likely that he'll end up somewhere else with a, a better contract and a better chance at being a legitimate number two, because that's not going to come when you have Marlon, hum- Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters in front of you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of guys that probably aren't going to be back next year. It's, it's just a matter of if they want to really put the draft capital there. It just, it's so tough because there's so many positions that you'd like to see them add numerous names at and despite even though they have a million draft picks at the end of the day they still only have so many draft picks so free agency is going to be big in that regard you know you talk about Stevens I think he's pretty much locked into that role short of if they do go out and sign like a honey badger or a Marcus Williams somebody we mentioned in our last podcast Mm -hmm. but short of that yeah I'm sure Stevens will probably be the guy in-house to take it maybe they draft somebody late just to kind of back him up but even in, I'd almost prefer that to be if they don't go and sign a big money guy, that would be a position that I would prefer them to go get a veteran in somebody who's been there before, somebody who's not going to you know give up those big plays we saw so often this year. So bring even if you can't get one of those bigger name guys, I think bringing in another veteran presence to pair with Stevens, who's going to be entering his first year as a starter, even though he did get substantial time this year and really improved in that time. I think having another veteran body back there would be much better to the defense overall, as opposed to bringing in, you know, X name in the sixth round from Oregon state. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, just in general, what you're saying about that balance between new faces and veterans is something that I feel like the Ravens do a good job of, of striking every year. Uh, I think this is going to be an interesting off season for that because which it's, it's mostly veterans and some of the longtime veterans that are leaving. Uh, and, you know, that's something that Harbaugh, it, it just seems like he's alluding to kind of a transition. You know, we had the, we had the Flacco era, but the early Flacco, the really competitive era, then the mid, the, the later Flacco years where we were in contention for the playoffs, but not really contenders. And then we've had the Jackson years, but I feel like Harbaugh is kind of signaling this move to, you know, a, a, another era of, of Ravens football. Uh, it just seemed in a lot of his comments about the passing game and how he wasn't as much a fan as the run game this year. And 
you know, I, I don't know if that necessarily means Roman is gone. I, I mean, I don't expect Roman to stick around for an especially long time. I'm not sure anyone does. It just felt like how emphatic he was being with certain statements was like, okay, he wants a he wants a Super Bowl and he is, you know, trying to find whatever ways he needs to to make that happen. And he's also saying this after watching a couple weekends of football where it was pretty much whether or not you could throw the ball was going to determine whether or not you were going to win the game. Yeah, it was really interesting because in, in John's whole press conference, he seemed very, very, you know, honest, very open, very forthright, except when it came to Roman. That was the only situation. I mean, of course, he did say we expect him back. We plan to have him back, yada, yada. But it feels like that was the only question where he left a sliver of doubt on the end. He says, you know, nothing can be a lock. We can't, you know, guarantee anything. In an interview where he was even so willing to, you know, to come out and just say, yeah, I wish I kicked the extra points in those two-point conversion situations to be that open and still kind of leave that, even though saying, yes, we plan on having him around. I mean, how many players do we hear about, you know, oh, we plan on having him around in the building for 20 whatever. And the next two weeks later, he's traded to the Browns, you know, <laughs> not, not us in particular, I'm saying around the league, you know, teams. So it was very interesting to me in that regard. Um, I mean, also we just heard about T Martin just a few minutes before we started here about how he's interviewing for the Buffalo job. So uh, how that plays into the situation, I couldn't even begin to tell you, but uh, a lot of interesting things to chew on in the Roman slash offensive passing game department. Yeah, and I think that that is going to be we're going to we're going to find out how much the team plans to change parts of that based on what they do this offseason. I think if they really go hard after a better left tackle or, or more offensive tackle help, and if they add a veteran wide receiver, I I just won't wouldn't rule them out of adding a veteran wide receiver uh in free agency or, or you know right before the season starts just because it feels like the kind of them thing to do that's going to kind of give us an idea what, what they want with the passing offense. But a lot of it is, and I think Harbaugh also said this, a lot of it is just they're really good in the scramble improv situations. He talked about that, but he also said, you know, sometimes the rhythm, the timing isn't there. And so I, you need both elements of those offenses. I think like the bills and the chiefs are the primary example of these offenses that can do this rhythm timing and the improv everyone go find an open spot kind of thing. And I don't have a problem with doing either of those things, but you have to be able to do both because defenses know how defense are starting to learn how to play both of those things. Yeah, it was, that was another thing John was really honest about was the wide receivers and the route concepts and how he said a lot of the, you know, the situations where we'd see the screenshots where there's three guys running within a five foot radius of each other. He said a lot of that was due to the sort of creativity and freedom that Lamar and the receivers are afforded in this offense, given the fact that there are so many, you know, extended plays and situations where it's just go get open. Like you said, uh, he also made reference numerous times, which I thought was interesting to wide receivers, not running the correct routes on plays. You know, he said it was handled internally or whatever, but I mean, that that kind of has to fall on T. Martin a little bit. I mean, he is the wide receivers coach, right? So, you know, when you see everybody freaking out about him walking out the door, it's like he's a great coach, don't get me wrong, and I'd love to see him have more of a role in this team, but it's kind of like pump the brakes a little bit, I guess, in that department. Yeah, I also just think that the 
the screenshots are like you can you can look at some of the plays that those are taken on. And it's like, yeah, Lamar's rolling to his left. Do you want people to be running to the running to the middle of the field or running away from him? Like, no, you want you want them to do the right thing in those situations. And so if you watch, and I hate to be that guy who's like, go watch film, but if you sit down and like watch film and not even watch film, just like watch the games again and be looking out for certain things. It's to me, it's, it's more like situational play calling. It's pulling the right levers in the right moments that gets me with this offense than big scheme things. Cause we've seen that this offense works. We've seen this offense work decently well with Tyler Huntley at quarterback, not well enough, obviously, but they picked up yards in those games with Huntley. They finished like fifth in yards on the season. The big thing is what Harbaugh was talking about in his press conference. And this is probably the other biggest thing to me is he was just very honest about, Hey, we didn't finish in the red zone. We were not finishing drives. We were not scoring that whole, like, I think we talked, you talked, you mentioned this on a previous podcast, like you just can't get a play and on both sides of the ball, that's huge. And you think about that watching these playoffs and you just see the teams that are winning are the ones that get, they just get plays in the big moments. I mean, Gabriel Davis dropped a guy with a route. That's not an incredibly complex route, but he just really made a play. And the Ravens, for you know, they didn't have it when they needed it this year. And that's not to say they didn't have it at all. Obviously, there were games, the Browns, the, the Browns win, where they got those plays from Lamar and Andrews despite a really bad game from Lamar. But down the stretch, and yeah, you could talk about everyone being battered and being out and stuff like that. But at the end of at, at the end of the day, it's like someone's Someone's got to step up and make a play. We talk, we rave about this team's depth and the talent that this team keeps in its reserves. reserves. And while some of those guys played pretty well, at, at the same time, none of those guys could really come up with something huge in a moment where you needed it. Yeah, it, it's really interesting in that regard. And especially when you hear about the creativity that these receivers are afforded and kind of the leeway they're given in terms of the just get open factor. It, to me, that all kind of boils down to the fact that they're just there isn't that one elite weapon on the outside. Now, hopefully, Bateman can come into that. I mean, I just tweeted last night that I'm excited to see what he does. I think he's capable of it. But I mean, I mean, look at the all the AFC teams that were still around for the the divisional round in the championship games. The Titans, AJ Brown. You got Julio. I mean, even though he isn't the Julio of old, he's still he's out there, and you still have to account for him. The Bengals, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, the Chiefs. I mean, come on, do we even have to say like the Bills, Stephon Diggs, as you just mentioned, Gabe Davis. I think a lot of it could just be like you have to get one of those guys on the outside who even when things aren't going great and even when some of the other receivers aren't stepping up, that there's that one guy that you could just really rely on at all times, that superstar. Because pretty much every single elite team in the NFL has one. And that's just something that the Ravens haven't had, I mean, ever. And it's not for a lack of trying recently, obviously, with all the draft picks they've spent. I think they've spent the most draft picks on receiver out of anybody in recent years. But, you know, it might just come down to figuring out a way to bring in one of those established guys, you know, a, a D-hop, somebody like that, to where, you know, we have that security blanket who isn't named Mark Andrews. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I think that we, we look at the ages and we look at like the inexperience and it's tough to like 
say these guys are your number one wide receiver. I mean, it's, it's, it kind of reminds me of the Orioles pitching staff where there were a lot of guys that were number two, number three starters in a five man rotation, but never one that you'd really point to and be like, that's a number one ace. And while, yeah, you kind of have that in Andrews. I agree that having that next level wide receiver is so important. And so we have, I think maybe one more year where I'm okay with us not doing anything crazy splash investment at that position before we have to go out and do something because, you know, I think Bateman can be an extremely, extremely talented receiver. I honestly think he has potential to be a top 10 receiver in this league. Um, just because you look at what makes the guys like cup and Adams successful, and it's not necessarily speed or they are just bigger than everyone else. It's route running. It's the attention to detail. And Bateman shows that. And I also think there's the potential for if, if Hollywood can be utilized better, I think that there's the potential for him to continue to have thousand yard seasons. Um, but next season is for this offense, for Roman, for a lot in a, in a ton of different ways. It's the test. It's a huge one. Yeah, it really is. And it, Andrews is great. There's no denying that, but we are kind of in a position now, at least as it stands, because we, we don't know what Bateman's going to do in year two, but just looking at the way things were this year, we're in a situation where it's just double Andrews and we're good. You know what I mean? You can't have, you know, there can't just be a one option. There's got to be a one and a one A in NFL in the NFL today. It's just how it is. Um, just going back to what you were saying though about the, you know, what makes these receivers great and why Bateman kind of fits that mold. Another big part of it is the 50-50 balls, and and we saw, you know, like the Cleveland game we saw this year. He made a lot of those kind of catches. So. That is kind of another thing that could be prescriptive to him taking that massive year two leap. Because with these elite receivers, obviously there's exceptions with guys like Jamar Chase who just come in and tear it up in their rookie year. But year two is usually the big leap for wide receivers once they kind of get that first year feel. It's kind of like the opposite of quarterbacks. You know how the quarterbacks, you always hear sophomore slump. Wide receivers, it's kind of like, no, that's, that's the big step up year. So it's going to be interesting to see if he could do that. Jamar Chase had a crazy rookie year, but T Higgins had a really great sophomore year. That's, that's Mm -hmm. how it usually, you know, usually tends to work. Uh, So moving on now to kind of these, you know, end of season awards, the NFL gives out, you know, most valuable players, the main one, you know, by the definition of the award, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm curious by the definition of the award, this almost has to go to a quarterback just because it's it's most valuable and there, there's nothing more valuable in football. And so I think for the, for the league, for the NFL at large, that's Rodgers and that's Brady in the regular season, which is what this award is. I think you can talk about Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, and uh, Michael Parsons as like the three non-quarterbacks that are in the mix for this. Uh, but I have a feeling we're going to get to them some of the later awards. So let's stick with Rodgers and Brady for right now. Rodgers, I don't want to get too into the weeds with him. But all I'll say is he only ended up missing one game. They He carried that team to uh, the number one seed with all of the injuries that it had. Um, and Brady, that team, the, the Bucks had a lot of injuries down the stretch too. He got them to, what, the two seed and threw for over 5,000 yards, had another great year. I mean, I personally think Rodgers probably gets this a little bit more because like we just talked about, he only had Devontae Adams and even Adams missed a couple games this season. He didn't have another really dangerous receiving threat. 
And he still did a ton with the Packers team that lost its starting left tackle. It's all pro like outside linebacker. It was without Jair Alexander. It's all pro cornerback for a while. And so to me, Rogers kind of ran away with it. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't say he ran away with it, but I would, I would give it to him by a hair. I guess the, the major consideration would be that he did have to deal with more injuries than Brady did. Now, Brady still had to deal with it. I mean, not just injuries. I mean, look at the whole Antonio Brown situation. Uh, he was missing Fournette for the last month of the season, Chris Godwin. So he was dealing with a lot in his own regard. But, yeah, the, the numbers don't lie. I mean, you kind of have to give it to Rodgers in that regard, at least around the league. Yeah, and then for the Ravens, again, this would kind of by default go to Jackson. Mm-hmm. But if you were being realistic and we were looking at this season – Jackson missed six games, and I think that you could argue that the the value that Mark Andrews brought in 17 games is bigger than what Jackson brought in 11, um, especially when you think about what Andrews did in those games without Jackson. You could make an argument that this season, at least, Andrews was kind of the linchpin of the Ravens' offense. Yeah, no, he definitely was. And I mean, for me, he's he's going to be the next category that we talk about here for sure. But I think it just comes down to when you look at the, you know, like you said before, how we kind of how you define the most valuable player. I kind of took it in the sort of face value sort of way in the terms of the most valuable player. And I mean, you go no further than the record with Lamar compared to the record without Lamar. It's what was it seven and four with and one and five without, I mean, it just, it comes down to being that simple and how all of those games and give props to Huntley because he did play really well in those games and he gave them a chance to win in every single game. But you got to think that if Lamar was at the helm, they're probably coming away with two of those games, maybe even three when you think about the Packers and then you think about the Rams game, even that second Browns game where they probably should have won it at the end. It's tough to not consider Lamar to be the most valuable player on this team. And I think that's probably just going to be the case for as long as he's on the team. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and I think that's definitely, I think that's definitely true in the most traditional, like thinking about the award, I think Andrews and, and even Tucker, you could think about in terms of what they bring above the league average replacement. Uh, and that would be the only way that they could contend for this. But I, I agree. I mean, this, this team, this, I, I sometimes think of it in terms of like a soccer transfer market, because, you know, in your Euro- European soccer, international soccer, when, when clubs trade players they don't they don't trade players for other players or draft picks or anything they buy and sell them with money mm-hmm. and when you think about who's the most valuable player i think of well who would another team have to give me the most for me to give up and, and that's definitely lamar jackson he's just he's he's 24 he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl and we have him and we're lucky enough to have him he's like I don't know if you want to call him the greatest quarterback in, in team history. Cause I think Flacco has a little bit more of that like legend lore with him, but I think Jackson's certainly the most talented quarterback to ever play for the team. And, you know, let's hope he gets that extension done and they just lock him up because I also think that's getting his extension done and moving some of his money around 
would really help us with our salary cap next season. That way we don't have to think about Marcus Peters being a cap casualty, for example. So uh, moving on to offensive player of the year, uh, league-wide here, I have, I have three contenders, and I don't think it's particularly close outside of these three. Cooper Cup is just obviously unbelievable. We saw what he did against the Ravens, what he did against every team. One of those guys who... I'm pretty sure McVay just sends him out and says, just go get open at certain points because he just knows how to find soft spot spots and coverage. And he knows here's, I think something else he knows is even if he's in man coverage, he knows where there's going to be open space or on the rest of the field. Mm-hmm. One of those things we were just talking about in terms of route concepts. He's super aware of that. Jonathan Taylor had, he had an unbelievable rushing season for me. I think if we need, if we're talking about Taylor, um, you know, we would be talking about Derrick Henry if he didn't get injured because he still finished, I think, top 10 in the league in rushing or something crazy like that. But Taylor had an undeniably really good season. You know, I think we I think there's plenty of uh, room to talk about relative value of running backs and this and that. But there's no doubt that he made a lot of big plays for that Colts team. Like you don't usually think about a running back clutch, but he kind of did that. And then the other one to me that's just huge is Debo Samuel. I mean, he was so upset after leaving the playoffs last night. It's really still fresh in my head. But having a guy who started as a wide receiver and no one really knew what to do with him and just getting unlocked as this versatile weapon who takes handoffs and tosses but splits out wide and does sweeps and, you know, just this 200-plus pound wrecking ball in your offense was really, really impressive to watch him develop as the season went on. Yeah, uh, we'll start with Debo because I'm actually I'm going to mention him also for another category later on. But it's so funny how we see more and more. And now, obviously, with the playoffs every single week, the Niners have been in a spotlight and you see just how explosive this guy is and how people still just think that that role is sort of a cut and paste kind of thing. You know, it's oh, why, why doesn't Devin DuVernay do what Debo Samuel does because he's not Debo freaking Samuel. Now he's great, Duvernay. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure they can do a lot of you know the same kind of concept stuff. But it's not going to be, or I wouldn't expect it to be nearly as effective. But I won't go too big into Debo now because, like I said, I'm going to mention him after uh, Taylor. In his case, you know, it's really funny because, like us being Ravens fans, we kind of have this, uh, or we kind of talk about, oh, we don't want to waste like Lamar's prime. We don't want to waste these great seasons. And then I just, I feel so bad for somebody like him because to have such a legendary season and to have so many carries in that reg, you know, to take such a toll on your body and just for the way the Colts couldn't put it together around him, I feel like that's more of a wasted season than anything we could think about around here. But he really did have a fantastic season. I mean, we saw him do it against us a little bit, <laughs> even though we ended up winning that one early in the year and especially down the stretch. I mean, you think about that Patriots game where he had that touchdown at the end that kind of was the, you know, the, the nail in the coffin. There's plenty other games where he just literally took over. I mean, I can't recall probably, I mean, I guess prime Adrian Peterson would probably be the last time that I saw a running back really take over an entire football game in the way that he did this year. I mean, Derek Henry, I think. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know he's, he's a little bit of a cheat code, but like, I don't well, even, know. I, I've got to be honest with you. Even. You know, I was just say, even with Henry, like, I don't know. It just, he would have those plays. But to me with Henry, it's more of a gradual kind of like thing. Like he beats you up throughout a course of a game. 
Like, yeah, but by the end of the game, you just you you can't stand up and, and tackle him anymore because he's just run into you so many times. I get it from that perspective, but I also think like that's like a to me, that's a bigger type of dominance that gets psychological when, when mm-hmm. you're going to a game against Derek Henry. Whereas Jonathan Taylor, like he got us early, but then late in the game, we really shut him down. Like they tried to run the clock out and we didn't let him. Uh, so you know, I think for the Ravens offensive player of the year, it's Mark Andrews and it's not particularly close. Yeah. I think about halfway through the season, it was between Andrews, Jackson and Hollywood. And then Jackson and Hollywood both obviously disappeared for different reasons down the stretch. Andrews has one of the best tight end years in history. Honestly, it really was pretty up there in terms of a lot of his numbers that he put up. And yeah, I mean, we signed into an extension kind of in the middle of the season. And I don't know at the, when you sign extension to a player that's hot, you're like, Oh man, like he just got a big contract because he's had a couple big games. Uh, and then he proceeds to have m- several larger games later in the season. You're like, ah, can't wait for this cap to explode. And the contracts we sign to just look so cheap in comparison to their percentage in the cap. So I think this is going to be another one. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can't say anything about Mark that we haven't said over the last month as we've just kind of been slowly wrapping up the 2021 season as a whole. I mean, I mean, just tremendous. And the, the fact that, you know, it's funny. And I think I said this in a prior podcast too, but there was the first couple games. It was the Raiders and the chiefs game where he had a couple of those drops that kind of plagued them in seasons past. And it was like, Oh boy, you know, did we maybe overpay a little bit? And now in hindsight, it's like so unbelievably ridiculous to think that that was ever a thought. (laughs) Like when you look at what he did, especially over the second half, and especially like you said, how he was the linchpin when Lamar went down and Huntley needed somebody to step up. He stepped up even more than he already was. It it was, it was tremendous. I I'm super excited to see what he does next year. And I'm more excited to see how, that sort of takes the pressure off the wide receivers and allows them to develop specifically in Bateman's case. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think having a lot of the attention on Andrews that's going to be coming into the third next season, you know, I think that other guys are going to get opportunities early. I think another thing about Andrews is the chemistry with Lamar in terms of the extended plays and just having a really good feel for where Lamar wants to throw the ball when those plays start to break down. That's huge. That's something that's huge about this offense. When you have a guy who can extend plays like that, you have to have someone for him to throw to. And Andrews is clearly that guy. Um, Defensive player of the year league wide. uh, To me, this is a two man race. This is Aaron Donald's and this is Micah Parson. I think Trayvon Diggs had a very good season. I think he had a lot of interceptions, and that's huge. That's really important. But there were also far too many times where he just got beat in coverage for me to say he's the defensive player of the year because it's not a stats award. It's not who got the most turnovers. Um, I, I do think it's worth like mentioning he if he gets turnovers like this consistently, then I think you can start to think about him as an award because it's an intentional part of his game instead of, he has really good hands and the quarterbacks make enough mistakes around him. Um, if he starts to jump routes and get double digit turnovers three, four years in a row, then that's a lot bigger than just this season. Uh, I think TJ Watt didn't get that many real sacks. I think he got a lot on Mickey mouse scorekeeper sacks. So that's probably a little sour grapes from me as a Ravens fan, but that's why I'm going to shut him out of this conversation. 
Uh, I don't know between Donald and Parsons. I think Donald is just too good, and and he's getting to that point with Brady and Manning and you know who, LeBron or whoever else you want to mention. Like we're tired of giving him this award, even though he obviously earns it. I think Micah Parsons is amazing. I also think Micah Parsons is going to win a couple of these on his own in his career. Um, so I don't know. It's kind of tough for me. You look at the stats, but then you look at what Donald does to opposing defenses, even when they're completely or offenses, even when they're completely game planned against him. I mean, you look at what he did yesterday, what he did last night to force that late pick. It's hard to not say that he is the like, again, it's for me, it's hard to not say he's like a top five, most valuable player in the league. Like if we had to redraft of everyone in the league, yeah, a lot, I think it's probably everyone goes quarterback first, but if you don't go quarterback, you're going with Aaron Donald. And so for me, that's why, He's probably this year's defense player of the year again. Yeah, you you kind of really summed it up perfectly, especially referencing yesterday. I, I think his biggest impact, I mean, obviously he's a game wrecker on the field, but maybe just as equally, if not just below, is his importance just in terms of stature and you know, the way that the team huddles around him and how he is he is the the face of that defense and he is gonna get that get that house in order, you know what I mean, when he needs to. So in, in that, that regard, on top of just his unbelievable play and how he's an auto triple team almost every play, it feels like. And if he doesn't, he's in the backfield in a half a second. So he would have to get it. I, I wasn't going to be the first one to throw the shade on TJ Watt because I didn't want to do the sour grapes, but I'm totally with you, man. It was a very kind of uh, a misleading was, what did he finish with 20 and a half? And he tied the record, which is, I think the record is 22 and a half. And he finished oh, in tie. So I can't remember. But the thing, like, he's he's super talented. I don't want to get that wrong. But there's 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 so many sacks that are just Mickey Mouse sacks. Like, one of his sacks against Huntley, he, the, the, like, Huntley fumbled the snap, dove on it, and then Watt was the first to touch him down. And so that gave Watt the sack. And then Watt does his kick down the door thing. And I'm just like, dude, can you please just celebrate? <laughs> when you actually made a play because you actually make plenty of plays. But then when you celebrate, when you don't, I almost wondering, like, do you just like, do you just love doing the celebration? Is that what it is? So I don't know. I I just, I think that like enough of his sacks were a little bit like he, he got credit for a sack where Baker Mayfield slid. Like that's just going to say one of the sacks wasn't even a sack. That's (laughs) another one to me where it's just like, I mean, sure. It's technically a sack, but we're, I don't think I don't think we think of sacks and like as the right statistic anyway. And I say that like probably because I watch this defense a lot, and you know you understand that sacks like the sack numbers aren't necessarily the most important thing. So I don't know. I just don't think that breaking a record gets automatically gets you an award, or tying one automatically gets you an award. No, it doesn't. But at the same time, I would kind of like some more sack numbers in Baltimore personally. No, I mean, you always want more sack numbers. Um, but hey, the Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times and they couldn't beat him. So I don't I don't really know what to do with that sometimes. Um, defensive player of the year here in Baltimore. You know, I know people are mad at Chuck Clark for not catching interceptions, but I also just feel like this defense is really kind of built around his ability to communicate and be the guy in the back end. And obviously the games he was out, we struggled more on the back end. Um, but I also think this really is like probably Tyus Bowser. I can't think of a guy who had a bigger season overall. Cause again, Marlon 
Marcus Peters, Deshaun Elliott, those guys all go down. Patrick Queen was just too up and down for us to say this, you know, was him, uh, this is his award. Calais Campbell was trending this way early in the season, but then was in and out of the lineup and not the same difference maker by the end of the season because of the injuries. You just look at who was consistently contributing the most. You can look at the outside linebackers. You can look at Chuck Clark. Um, I think you could make an argument for someone like Bynes, but I'm also not sure he quite played enough to get the defensive player of the year, like player of the year. Uh, so for me, this goes with Bowser, just a guy who was already doing a ton in our defense. Then we have a bunch of injuries and he has asked to do a ton more and delivers, does a great job. And, you know, it sucks that he's injuries. Something Harbaugh mentioned today. Harbaugh was like, Oh, I expect him to be back in training camp, which would be pretty much akin to cam acres level recovery time on his Achilles, which would be, phenomenal i certainly hope it happens i don't i'm don't have my hopes up that it will happen i'm kind of expecting him to come back a couple weeks into the season just because i think achilles injuries can really vary and so hopefully he works really hard and get back in time but we'll see but i think he's our defensive player of the year yeah he was my choice as well i i kind of went i kind of gritted a little bit there when you mentioned Bynes because i thought i was being edgy by having him as an honorable mention just because he was so solid even though he didn't play that crazy amount of reps when he did play he was such a calming presence out there and he did make plays I mean there's no doubt about it pass breakups whatever have you making tackles like he was flying around out there so while he may not have been the best player on the defense when you just kind of take all things into consideration and the fact that he wasn't even on the team at the beginning of the year I mean I think he at least deserves a little bit of love but yeah it's got to be Bowser uh, just referencing his injury, I'd imagine it's going to take him more time than Cam Akers, obviously. Cam Akers is physically a freak, and he's not carrying as much weight as Tyus Bowser. Obviously, they play two entirely different positions. So I think in that regard, it might be a little tougher for Bowser to come back, and I hope he doesn't rush it, like you said, because as we saw this year, the NFL season is a marathon, not a sprint. So you need – you need your guys there when it counts most and that's going to be late in the year. So if it's a matter of him coming back in week four, as opposed to him being there for the first game against, you know, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, whoever, and re injuring himself, I mean, definitely give him the time, but he was definitely the most effective and probably the most consistent player on the defense this year. You know, when we gave him that contract, it, we, everyone pretty much knew it was a steal especially coming off what was his best season. You could even kind of call it a breakout season last year. He followed it up with another really solid campaign. And at this point, all we can really hope is that there's not too much of a production drop-off once he comes back from that Achilles injury. Yeah, and again, that's that's the big thing. That's one of the reasons why we've started to talk more about taking an edge rusher in the draft because we don't know when Bowser will be back or what it will be like when he is. And you also want him to continue to be that versatile player where he's not always just rushing the quarterback. So, uh, you know, I think he, I think, I think if he has a strong comeback, there's a good chance he could repeat as this next year, but I also think the competition next year is going to be tougher. Oh, I yeah. think, you know, I think this, I think this is, this is, I think, you know, if when, when hopefully we keep doing this podcast and we're doing this at the end of the next season, I think this is going to be the most interesting conversation because we've got a ton of good players on defense. I think, just guys like Owe coming into their second year, Stevens in, in his second year, could do a lot there. And so it'll be interesting to see. Um, moving on to rookie of the year, 
in the in the NFL, this is this is Parsons and Jamar Chase, and you got to give it to them both. We already talked about Parsons, so I'll talk about Chase now. Even though I would kind of do a co, I would co give out this award to both of them. Chase is just a really really talented receiver, and you know we need an answer to that. Whether it's just getting better against him, definitely scheming better against Burrow and blitzing him less is going to be important. But Chase is just really, really talented. And so I think he's going to continue to have the success like Justin Jefferson had success in his second season as well. And there are obviously going to be adjustments and ways to coach him. But when you combine like that athleticism with just he clearly spent the last year, the year he took off from football 2020, just improving himself because he looks better than he did at LSU and he looked amazing at LSU. And so you, you just you just got to tip your cap to a guy who just seems to know how naturally talented he is and then want to take it to the next level by working really hard. And I've said that I've tweeted this a couple times. I'll never forgive Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase and the Cincinnati Bengals for making me like them. I just I'll never <laughs> forgive them because I have been like as a Ravens fan, I didn't like Tom Brady for most of his career. And then the last couple of years I've come around, especially watching him just lighted up with Tampa Bay in a team that is just uniquely fun to watch um, or was depending on whether or not he actually retires. But, you know, Burrow's doing that in his second year because him and Chase are just such a likable duo. Their story is good. They're personable and fun in press conferences. I think they walk that line of confident, but fun and casual about it really, really well. And that's infuriating as a Ravens fan, because I don't want to like him. They're probably our biggest competitive rivals now. So I don't know. That's just my two cents on, on Chase and, and the rookie of the year. Yeah, you know, it's funny because uh, Ravens Twitter has been so ripe with the, oh, if you wanted to see the Bengals win over the Chiefs, you're not a, a real fan, yada, yada, this and that. And it's so funny because it's like, objectively, they're great, like, players, and they're so young, and they're so fun to watch. Like, you could not – I mean, you could be not thrilled about seeing them win while the Ravens aren't winning, while at the same time admitting, holy crap, these are two of the most explosive and exciting young players to watch in football. I mean, it, it almost seems laughable at this point. Now, if you go all the way back to August, when we were talking about, Oh, Jamar chase doesn't know how to catch the football. Remember there was all the drop issues in the preseason and camp. Uh, now that just seems so blasphemous. It's really funny. He would be my choice over Parsons, even though Parsons, I mean, you can't, you can't dispute what he did for the, uh, the Dallas defense and, how much he changed around that front seven that was really kind of lacking last year with a lot, you know, guys like Demarcus Lawrence and Randy Gregory, who like didn't really live up to the play that they had the years prior. It, it seems like Parsons really kind of invigorated that whole group on top of the production that he brings and the, uh, I guess we'll say a malleability, malleability, what it, the, the ability to play anywhere and be, play at an all pro level it seems like even though rushing the passer is obviously what he does best and i'd imagine that's kind of where they'll have him pigeonholed going forward but it's got to be chase for me i mean hell they're going to the super bowl in a couple weeks you know what i mean and it's pretty much exclusively in part well, i won't say exclusively in part but the vast majority in part to that combination that burrow and chase combination yeah, I mean that was that was what carried a lot of the team through the season. Although I will say I'm I'm definitely rooting for the Rams. I 
you know, not necessarily rooting against the Bengals. I just think that it would be cool to see the Rams win this one with their all in moves and, and just kind of the season they've had getting Stafford. I think there's a lot of things to like about the Rams winning. Whereas I think the Bengals will have more chances to win. I think not that this, not that the Rams won't have a chance in future years. I obviously think they're, they're a good enough team in front office to retool and keep moving, but I think this might be their best chance, you know, in the next couple years, whereas I think the Bengals are going to continue to obviously get better and add more talent and, and have better chances at the Super Bowl. So that's kind of why I'm rooting for the Rams. Um, in terms of rookie of the year for the Ravens, um, I've raved about Brandon Stevens. Harbaugh talked about how well Ben Cleveland played towards the end of the year. Um, obviously, Dalen Hayes uh, is really gets a non-applicable grade here because he you know, pretty much didn't play all season. Uh, so we're, I mean, and, and really that comes down to just four rookies from this draft. Cause we, you know, one is back on the practice squad, Ben Mason resigned with us and we traded Sean Wade to the Patriots. And so there are only four rookies that we saw this season, which is kind of low. I feel like for the Ravens, the rookies usually get a bit more involved. So, Oh, sorry, five Tylen Wallace as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think of them to me, it's really a three man race between Stevens uh, Bateman and OA. Uh, because they all missed time. They all, I think Stevens, they all missed time or didn't start for certain periods. Um, and then they all were starting and played quite well in the times that they did start. And so I think it's kind of tough to pick between the three. I think Stevens exceeded expectations the most. I think Bateman in a weird way missed expectations the most because of the injury. He couldn't be like that full season really understand what what kind of talent we have in him. Um, and I think OA just kind of did exactly what we thought he would, which is make some highlight plays, get some sacks, but kind of prove that he's still got a little bit of ways to go in the NFL just in terms of winning quickly and consistently against ta- opposing tackles. Um, but it's also going to be a question of how we use him going forward and, and, and what kind of linebacker he becomes because we saw him do some pretty versatile things against the run and even in terms of kind of these delayed blitzes, dropping back into coverage, then blitzing, pretty versatile player. And so I think overall I'd have to hand it to Owe. I think I think he just had the most overall balanced contribution to the team as a rookie this year. Um, although I think in, you know, if you redo this year three or four different times, I think it's entirely possible that Stevens and Bateman are able to find a way to win this award as well in the last few games of the season. Yeah, you couldn't. I couldn't have put it any better myself. The way that I kind of gauged this was, I mean, none of them were Jamar Chase. None of them were these guys that just come over and they take over an entire position group and elevate that to an elite level. So I just kind of looked at it in terms of who made the most explosive plays that, or who made the most important plays, we'll say, that led to an important victory slash important victories. And when you think of always playing that Kansas city game and the big play he made at the end, I mean, that, that that's, that's a moment in a game that in, in a pretty crappy season overall that Ravens fans are going to remember for a long time. So for that alone, I would probably give it to him. And I think he showed the most potential. Like you said, he's still very raw, but there's a lot there physically. He's a freak. You know, hopefully we see him doing a little less of the dropping into the pass coverage next year and more kind of highlighting his strengths in rushing the passer and playing in the run game. So hopefully they really or McDonald's really helps him kind of key in and hone on that the way that he was able to do with Hutchinson and Ojabo 
last year. Maybe he's got a job on the other side of him. So he, you know, to make it even easier for him, we'll see in that regard, but that's, you know, you still got to give love to Bateman and Stevens too. I think Stevens is probably got a long way to go. He's got to learn how to catch the football. First of all, <laughs> when it comes to interceptions, but I, I'm, I'm confident in him and Bateman. I think 2022 is going to be the year that we're throwing all the roses at him. I, I'm really confident that he's going to step up next year. And hopefully we won't even have to sign one of those big names that we mentioned earlier, like a Hopkins or somebody like that. Cause he can fill that role. So I guess we'll see. I don't think we will. I think by the end of next season, the, Bateman, Andrews, Brown, core is a top 10, like top three receiving options in the league. Um, I just think by the end of next season, that's what we're thinking about that, about those three. Uh, So, yeah. And I think it's going to be exciting, like to think about the, who the rookies next year could be. The Ojabo connections are getting kind of crazy. He went to high school with OA and Mm -hmm. in fact, started playing football because he saw OA doing it. I mean, it gets so much, it gets so much to the point where like, if they don't pick him, it's, you know, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, Oh, something must've like, they must've not liked something about him not to pick him in a certain way. Um, but again, there's plenty of time for that. Um, uh, coach of the year, obviously we're not just taking head. This is normally for the head coaches in the NFL. Um, thinking about the head coaches in the NFL who could get this award, you know, it's funny that Zach Taylor got to the Super Bowl Cause I wasn't particularly inspired by his coaching for much of the season. I thought he was like, and it showed against the Chiefs, ultra conservative on first downs, not super aggressive with a lead, forced to stay. And like, you know, uh, he was aggressive with a lead against us, but I felt like in other games, you know, the, 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 I, I like aggressive coaches. And so I think that's part of the reason why Zach Taylor wouldn't be my pick here. I think you got to give it to, to LaFleur in, in Green Bay, just keeping that roster together with all of the injuries they had, I think he, I think he's certainly in the conversation, Sean McDermott, the bills. Um, but I think one that's getting overlooked is Mike Rabel in Tennessee because just they had so many injuries and yeah, we can talk about how much it impacted them versus the Ravens and this and that. But at the end of the day, they had just as many injured players as us, maybe not as many key players, but they were not a team that has a ton behind Derrick Henry. Julio Jones was in and out of the lineup all season and they managed to, you know, find a way. Yeah. Through a bit of an easier division, but we saw the Colts come crashing through the gates towards the end of the season and the Titans managed to hold up. So you got to give Vrabel plenty of credit for that. And um, I'm trying to think of the, the, the NFC teams that I would, I would want to give this to other than other than the Packers and the floor. And I can't really think of one because I feel like those teams either hit their expectations or like badly miss them. Uh, so, you know, for a lot of teams, it was a roller coaster every year. And I think the one team it was a roller coaster for that ended up with a one seat. There are two teams it was a roller coaster for, and both ended up with a one seat. It's the Packers and the, and the Titans. Yeah, uh, you could throw Kyle Shanahan in there probably too for the NFC. Uh, man, I really thought I had something there with that Vrabel one. <laughs> I was thinking Vrabel the whole way, and I'm not even overly a huge fan of him. You know, he can kind of come off a little smug at times, but to do what he did with essentially no, I mean even AJ Brown missed some substan- uh, substantial time. Julio, you mentioned obviously Derrick Henry, and to still stay not only stay afloat, but be the one seed like that's kind of what we were hoping as Ravens fans this year you know what I mean and the fact that he was able to do that really is a testament to how his players feel about him and the way that 
while he may not be Mr. Offensive Guru, you know, the way that he surrounds himself with really good coaches who can kind of supplement that lack of talent on the field just due to the injuries, obviously full strength, they have a lot of talent, but to be able to endure all of that and still end up as the one seed, even though it didn't go as they would have liked. I mean, I almost feel like you got to give it to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and I think for the Ravens, obviously we can't just look at the head coaches because there's only one uh, we can look at the, all of the coaches and, you know, I think there are a couple guys that deserve shout outs. I think James Urban, our quarterback coach is one who, you know, there's, there's no denying that Jackson and Huntley made big steps throwing the ball this year. And that was a big part of our offense throughout the whole season was trusting them to throw the ball more. Um, you know, you can talk about, I think the receivers coach and, and the I think T Martin, and I think the pass game coordinator, Keith Williams deserves some shout outs for that too. But I think I want to look on the defensive side of the ball and look at Drew Wilkins, the outside linebackers coach, where I again feel like a lot of the development in the unit came. Um, and I also think I'm a sucker for special teams. I actually think Chris Horton deserves to be the coach of the year because I think there are a lot of situations where Harbaugh took the special teams off the field to go for it on fourth down and 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 not kick a field goal or do a punt. And I think keeping that that unit sharp and as good as they were the entire season. I think that, I mean, that's part of the reason we were able to stay in games late in the season. I mean, Harbaugh played the field position game hard in the last couple of games of the year because he didn't trust. He realized he couldn't quite trust this version of the offense. And the, the special teams unit did a really good job of winning the field position game and, and having us keep the games close at the end of the year. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and when you look at, I mean, even obviously Devin Duvernay is a really talented player, but he's an all pro returner this year. I mean, obviously Horton deserves a lot of that uh, recognition as well. I mean, especially anytime you can be the special teams coach of a John Harbaugh led team, you got to be doing something right. I mean, obviously John's history and special teams is well documented. We don't even have to go down that road, but my choice for this would actually be Anthony Weaver. Uh, he was the run game coordinator defensively, defensive line coach. I mean, that was pretty much the only part of the defense this year that was consistent, stopping the run. Now you can make the argument, well, that's because teams knew they, that our passing game was a sieve once all these guys went down, and that would be fair. But the point remains, I mean, you look at, you know, the way that they kind of bottled up Najee. We talked about what they were able to do against Jonathan Taylor in the second half. Uh the green, uh, the green Bay game, you know, it didn't seem like they were really getting too bad. So Anthony Weaver, the obviously, Browns, the, the Browns, how do I forget about that one? The first Browns game. Yeah. Nick Chubb. I mean, it was so, yeah, we'll see if we'll see if Weaver's back next year. I mean, I think he's, he was a candidate to be our defensive coordinator, even though I think they had McDonald in mind pretty early. I think they still interviewed Weaver and I, you know, if he ends up in Denver, it's a pretty talented defense. I think he'll do pretty well there, but hopefully he sticks around. Cause again, really, really good run defense. It's always been a hallmark of these Ravens teams. So I think we'll be able to continue it, but it would be nice to, uh, it would be nice, nice to hold on to him. Um, moving on to comeback player of the year in the NFL. Uh, this is Burroughs to lose. I think, I mean, Burrow towards ACL destroyed it and he's in the Super Bowl. I mean, I can't think of a player who, has had a more successful comeback in the last in the last year. I'm, I'm like racking my brain. I mean, you could you could make an argument Matthew Stafford, 
but that's maybe more of a most improved or got put on a team with more talent kind of thing. Uh, I think it's tough to look at a player who came back from injury as well as, as, um, as Joe Burrow has. Yeah. Burrow Burrow seems to be the runaway favorite, especially now when you look at the fact that he is in the Super Bowl. and it is funny that the kind of second leading candidate is the guy he's going to be playing against in that game. But like you said, in Stafford's case, it's just more of a, uh, more of a thank God you finally got out of Detroit player of the year, as opposed to a comeback player of the year, as you would expect. Yeah, it's gotta be Burrow though. You're not going to get much argument for me in that regard, even kind of thinking it over in my head and just kind of trying to run through guys who may have missed all of last year. I can't even think of anybody who would be close. I mean, the only other person I could think of is Dak and I don't think Dak played well enough down the stretch of the season to, to, to win the award. I just think Burrow ultimately played better. And, and you can say that by a pretty discernible margin, especially when you think about Burrow closing out the season to win his division and Dak closing out the season to lose his cha- lose his team's chance or not. He didn't lose it alone, but they couldn't close out games at the end of the year to secure a better seed in the playoffs. And so they had to go in and, and have a tough matchup right away. And so, you know, yeah, I think you can definitely, I think you definitely got to give it to Burrow. I think on the Ravens, it's also pretty clear too. I don't think anyone but Tavon Young is even remotely able of getting this award. I mean, Stanley and Boyle would have been, you know, thought to be this if they had come back and had successful seasons, but obviously they didn't. And Tavon Young came back, has had several injuries in recent seasons, came back and was healthy for pretty much the whole season and played pretty well, especially in that secondary. It's really depleted. You know, he, I don't think he's, you know, projecting to be the best nickel corner in the NFL, the way we thought he could be when we first signed in that contract. I obviously he's still plenty young and plenty of room to improve, but you know, just him coming back and not getting injured. And he tweeted something to this effect after the season ended, basically just being thankful that he played a whole season and, and played well the whole season. So I think that's something to be really thankful for as a fan of his, as a, you know, as, you know, one of the, you hate seeing a guy repeatedly getting injured. Um, and it was really good to see him have a career without, or have a year without an injury. And hopefully it gets that, you know, knock on him of being injury prone a little bit away, even if, you know, I know he's been rumored to be a potential cap casualty this season. I certainly think that's possible, uh, but you got to give credit to him because he, he did come back after a couple tough injuries and, and give it his all the entire season. Yeah. Uh, I think in his case, it'll be much more of a, he's kind of like Peters to me in a sense where I think a restructure or a, just a cheaper deal in general that keeps you here in a place that knows how to use you is probably better than just, you know, going out and testing these waters again. It's really, it's, it's kind of funny too, because I've seen this joke made on social media a little bit about, how uh, any season where Tavon Young is the healthiest corner in your secondary is probably very telling. But it's honestly not as much telling about the injuries that the Ravens faced as it is so much about kind of the bounce back and durability that he had. Yeah. You know, it, it was really it was really great to see him, you know, put in the work and have that work pay off. You, you know, when you think of a guy like Stevens, I mean, not Stevens, uh, Deshaun Elliott, who's kind of, you know, consistently losing these seasons to injuries, you kind of started to wonder if Tavon Young was going to fit into that mold after after the 2019 and 2020 seasons. But big bounce back for him this year and well-deserving of the award. Just really quick, another name that I wanted to mention, even though I would still put him over him, would be uh, uh, Devontae Freeman, 
just because, you know, kind of didn't really do much last year, played a little bit with the Giants, just kind of as a patchwork option when Barkley was hurt, but really a non-factor in the league for the last two years before this. And to come in and play really solid at times was was really good. And he helped them win, you know, a few games. You think he scored the game-winning touchdown in the Chicago game. He had a few nice catches in that Chiefs game. So he definitely contributed this year, especially when uh, Murray went down. So I'd at least like to give him a little bit of love. I mean, would it be our podcast if we didn't at least dedicate two minutes to Devontae Freeman? Come on. Yeah. And I mean, him coming into the team, you were like, uh, what does he have left? And the answer is he's got a lot of juice to the line of scrimmage. He, he's got pretty reliable hands out of the backfield. He'll scamper and get yards after the catch. And uh, we've talked about this, a guy we hope to have back. I got one more name for you. Pat McCarry, I think, is totally a comeback player of the year. I was just thinking about it because I'd look up and check and see what his 2020 looked like. Uh, because if you think about it, his his 20 his 20 his 2019 was him closing out the season at at center because we didn't we stopped trusting uh, Matt Matt Scora right, um, and then Scora was the starter for part of last season, and then we stopped trusting him again. Makari comes in. But then Macari botches those snaps in, in, in the playoffs against the Bills, one of which led to Jackson being injured. And people were calling for his head and comes into the season thought to be a depth lineman, kind of that, you know, jack of all trades, master of none kind of guy who we didn't really expect to see much this season. I think coming in the, you know, kind of the, the stand what was it Stanley Phillips, Bozeman, Zeitler, Villanueva. I don't think we really thought about Macari figuring into that lineup, you know, in a major way throughout the season ends up playing most of the year at right tackle plays. what I thought he played extremely well to the point where I'm not unopposed to him being our right tackle next year. I absolutely think tackle is a position I want to invest in. I think, you know, having someone to be ready if Stanley can't play is important. I think Macari can play right tackle for this team. I think he can do it at a high level and he clearly knows how he how to pass protect in this offense and how to protect Jackson. And so I think another guy who who's kind of in this conversation, but I agree. Tavon young runs away with it. Um, looking ahead, you know, who, who are we going to think of as our breakout players for the Ravens next season? Who are you, who are your big candidates to be, to be a big breakout player? Well, uh, it probably won't come as a surprise considering how we've talked about him a couple times in this podcast, but it's Bateman for me. I know it's kind of like the stock answer, but, it's the stock answer because it's true. I mean, we saw these flashes this year. We saw the catch against Cleveland. We saw the one-hander in that Minnesota game that was like, whoa, holy crap. Uh, he's shown that the pieces are in place physically for him and in terms of the route running and the 50-50 balls. It's just going to be a matter of getting more consistent targets and kind of taking that number one spot from – Marquise by force, I guess. I, I don't want to make it seem like it's a direct competition between them, but it is. It really is for targets. So I think next year, year two is going to be the big breakout for him. Obviously, we could say oh wait, too, kind of in along the lines of that same, you know, train of thought where we saw the flashes this year. We saw him win the Chiefs game for us. So I think it would be one of those two, but I'm going Bateman. I I really think 2022 is going to be when we start mentioning him as a household name in the NFL, not just in the Ravens locker room. Yes. I think it's going to be, I mean, Bateman and OR two are two good ones. I think JK Dobbins is going to have his breakout in 2022. Now it was supposed to be this past season. He'll have it next season. 
and I'm hoping I see a defensive back breakout. I'm not sure I'd call like a Brandon a Brandon Stevens breakout season on its way. I think, like you said, he still needs some more seasoning, but I could see someone like Chris Westry or Ardarius Washington just getting some limited reps early in the season. Maybe Humphrey or Peters aren't all the way back yet or something like that and getting some reps and, and, and maybe showing and flashing a little bit throughout the season um, as kind of like under the radar candidates. But I, I, I agree. I think the most, the most likely person is going to be Bateman just having a year, um, an, a full off season with Jackson and, you know, I do think the fact that Hollywood and Andrews are both thousand yard receivers isn't going to get lost on opposing teams coming in to games to the point where they're double teams. Like you said, they're going to go towards Andrews. They're going to be playing Hollywood way more conservatively over the top like they did towards the end of next season. And I think that's just going to open up room for Bateman. Uh, and I also think the thing with Bateman and Hollywood is I just want to see they need to just be used in the ways that best fit their skill sets. I want to get Hollywood more opportunities to run after the catch. Um, and it also depends on what skill sets they develop over the course of the season or over the course of the off season as well. Hollywood's talked about wanting to get better, you know, at the catch point playing through contact him adding that I think would change the dynamic of this offense in terms of where the targets they're going to go, because then you just have to pick your poison. Then you, you know, yeah, 1A, 1B would be, you know, ideal. But if we have Bateman, Andrews, and Hollywood kind of splitting targets, it's hard for them to have like 1A, like top-tier production. I'm okay with that if the three of them average to crazy numbers, which I think they can. Yeah, they definitely can. Uh, I think in Hollywood's case, I'm kind of at the point where I've got to see it consistently before I believe it. I mean, we did see it for the first half of the year. But then we saw everything that happened when Lamar went down and almost kind of felt like he was, I mean, I don't want to assume anything, but it almost felt like he was a bit disinterested at times when Huntley was quarterback. And maybe that's an incorrect you know, assessment on my part, but that combined with just the drop off in production as a whole. Meanwhile, you know, Bateman was kind of on the uptick in the second half. It was like Bateman was kind of taking over that role as the most productive wide receiver even though we weren't getting a massive amount of production from the receivers as a whole. Yeah. I mean, I think disinterested, like, I don't know. I think that like the way defensive played him really limited him, but like he, you know, he, his last one, two, three, four, five, his last six games, he had five catches, five catches, 10 catches, five catches. And it was really the last two that he was very quiet, three catches under 30 yards total, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I just think that there is still plenty for Hollywood to show us. And I also just, this is one of my gripes with Greg Roman is I'm just still not convinced that they're using Hollywood in the best way. Um, you know, I think we've seen the way teams have used different players over the last few seasons. Um, there's more than just lining him up out wide and having him run routes and do this. I think we need to be more intentional about getting Hollywood, the ball in space Um because I think that's where that's an area that he has gotten slowly better and better and better in. And we we've talked about this, right? The, the, the Huntley doesn't have the same snap on his ball and Hollywood needs that a little bit in order to have that leg up when he's trying to get past people after the catch, otherwise he's just going to get tackled. And so I don't know. I, st I still think Hollywood can, I, I still think Hollywood can be like one leg of like a three-headed monster in this offense. I think it's more about just using him right because I felt like he didn't struggle with big drops in the second half of the year. He didn't drop anything. 
Mm-hmm. He had those, we had those, what, those two plays against Pittsburgh that we, we talked about. Um, but other than that, pretty much after the Detroit game, it didn't feel like he dropped anything. And so to me, if you keep at, at you know, the way these guys have longevity in the league is you keep adding different elements to your game every year. And, you know, I'm hoping that we've seen him do that kind of 2019, 2020, 2021. And, you know, I think it's possible he, he and Bateman kind of do the alternate thing next year where Bateman starts out hot gets a lot of attention. Andrews is good the whole season. And by the end of the year, it's Hollywood again, because they're putting him back in single coverage because he's been quiet. I think that could totally end up happening as well. Yeah, it could. Uh, I would also kind of just in terms of the drops, I would go back to that last Pittsburgh game. I know we had a nice debate about that in, in terms of the catchability of the balls and, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick punching stuff out, whatever have you, but it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think he, if he is that, if he is like the Tyler Boyd of the Ravens offense, obviously they do way different things. Boyd's a slot receiver, but in terms of that role as like the number three, but he'll do what he has to do and he'll get you where, what he needs to get you. Uh, I mean, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see with Marquise. I guess I'll, I could just kind of leave it at that for now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, again, it's, it's, can he, can he add a new element? Can he improve in some way meaningfully next year? Like he did this year. Can he continue to do that? And you know, if that's true, then I think you say, okay, this is a guy I want to hang around on this team for a while, especially because he he and Lamar are close and, and you know, Lamar wanted to get Hollywood in the first place. And so those things are important too when you think about continuing to keep the team together. Uh, obviously, money is going to play into that whenever it comes time to maybe think about re-signing Hollywood. But it's one of those things where you, you're kind of caught between two paths of – can is has he hit his ceiling? Is this his ceiling or can he get better? And honestly, after three seasons, I just think he's pretty far away from his ceiling. He's still pretty young in terms of like relatively. He's still like what 23, 24. Um, kind of the same idea as Lamar. I just think that there's a lot more to get from him. So I think uh, I think that'll be it for for this pod this week. I think we're gonna start to look ahead now, now that we've looked back over this past 2021 season. I think probably just as much as anyone could possibly want to at this point, I think we're ready to move on. We've got some senior bowl measurements flashing across my screen today, and that's going to be a big topic of conversation. I know on Twitter in the next few days, and we're going to start looking at free agency, the draft, uh, you know, and, and, and that's kind of a, a really fun part of the season for, for, for guys like me and Ron, because of all the possibilities and this, uh, the kind of the Madden create a team game you get to play during free agency and draft season that gets really fun for, for those of us who not just love, you know, the league and or love the Ravens, but love the league and the sport as a whole. So you get to really think about what different players could do on the Ravens. Ron, what's maybe like one thing about free agency and the draft that you're looking forward to most? I know that's really tough, but if you can think of a one thing. Yeah. uh, Well, I mean, the obvious answer would be just seeing how the Ravens patch the holes that they currently have on their team. But I think just in a general sense, it's almost in a lot of ways, just as fun as the regular season. I mean, you know, we're all day, we're looking at these prospects. As you mentioned this week, we have the senior bowl, we have the combine coming up, all these fun things. Even that, that first Monday of free or the, it's not even actually free agency yet. It's just the tampering period, but you wake up on that Monday and you look at your phone and it's like, all right, it's go time. Who's going where? Like, I remember, I think the first signing of the day last year or one of the first at the very least was Zeitler. That was a very early morning signing. So like just all of that craziness, that entire week of March 17th is so fun. And there's just so much cool stuff coming down the pipe 
that I couldn't be more excited for it. Yeah, I think for me, it's uh, just fall in love with late round draft picks. There's just guys every year. And as I get more and more into this every year, I find more and more guys where I'm just like, whether I think they're a good fit for the Ravens or if I just think they're going to have a good career or strike me as a really interesting player. Um, you know, I think that's what interests me the most because there's so much talk about the first picks, but you realize that there's a limited pool of players the Ravens can pick at 14. And, you know, a lot of them could be gone by then. I think it's really interesting to think about all the permutations of the draft when you think about who's available at the hundredth pick and things like that, because that's when players really start to rise and fall. And, you know, the Ravens taking Brandon Stevens in the third round last year is one of those that's going to stick with me forever for finding a, a running back turned cornerback that they wanted to play free safety. And, you know, to me that that's the most exciting thing is, is thinking about what all these guys could be. So um, definitely forward to our Ravens have a ton of picks and a fair amount of money in free agency. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and just before we go, of course, we have to plug the fact that we have our new Twitter all set up. Oh, of course, week, of course. At RS replay pod. So all of you fine listeners out there, go give us a follow. Yeah, definitely follow the Twitter account. It's going to keep up with uh, updates. I'm also uh, thanks so much for listening again to this episode. And uh, yeah, we'll see you in a couple of weeks with uh, probably a free agency primer is going to be the next thing we're looking at. Um, we're also going to be looking to try and get some guests on here to talk about uh, coaching and, and personnel in a bit more detail. Some of those X's and O's that we like to break down in the future weeks as well. So uh, enjoy, uh, enjoy your February. We've got the Super Bowl coming up, which is always a big holiday for us football fans. So uh, yeah, everyone have a good one. Thanks so much. And thank you, Ron. Yeah.